Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Welcome to the latest edition of 100, the Ed Gordon Podcast. Today, a discussion with co-authors Randall Pinkett and Jeffrey Robinson. Their latest book, Black Faces in High Places, 10 Strategic Actions for Black Professionals to Reach the Top and Stay There, is a guide to help navigate the road to becoming successful and making change. Pinkett is CEO of BCT Partners, a global multi-million dollar research consulting and tech firm. Robinson is an entrepreneur and professor of business at Rutgers Business School. The book uses examples including those of Barack and Michelle Obama, Oprah Winfrey, TV One founder Kathy Hughes, and Senator Cory Booker to demonstrate challenges they faced and showcases the tools they use to overcome them. More importantly, the new book illustrates 10 strategic actions to help people of color sustain success and make systematic change. It's in part a continuation of their first book, Black Faces in White Places, that was released in 2010. Gentlemen, welcome. Randall, let me start with you. Why now? Why did you all feel um, the need to, while it's not truly a sequel, uh, a need to do the second book? Yes, and I call it the remix. And (laughs) we, we wrote our first book together, Black Faces in White Places, 
12 years ago. Very different day and time. It was the era of Obama. We all had this renewed sense of hope for our society on matters of race. Fast forward 2020, 10 years after we released Black Faces in White Places, the murder of George Floyd. Uh, in concert with Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor and Sandra Bland, and the list goes on, the COVID-19 pandemic, which elevated conversations around inequities and who was getting the virus, who's dying from the virus. Right. And, and, and Dr. Robinson and I looked at each other and said, this is the time to weigh in again, because the conversation about Black leadership had elevated so significantly that there was a moment that we were in the midst of and we felt it important for us to weigh in on the why black leadership matters, hence black faces in high places. Jeff, let me ask you this. Uh, I want to get into black leadership, but Randall said something interesting. And, and that is that, you know, when you looked at the times, it felt the need to kind of revisit where we are. Uh, but there are a lot of people who are suffering fatigue because there were thoughts of, hope and better. And even prior to Obama, you know, each kind of watershed mark of race relations, equity, et cetera, uh, where we thought we were getting better, it always seems that we get pushed back. Was it also a hope that this was kind of a, a roadmap, if you will, to continue that trek? Uh, certainly it was. Uh, and, and you talked about setbacks. You know, t the 2016 uh, election was a, was a setback. We didn't you know, I guess we could have kind of predicted because of uh, Randall's experience with um, with Trump, you know, how far the country would go back. But uh, it was shocking how far the, co the country went back. Uh, 2016, 2017, 18. And uh, and so we were we were searching for a way to make uh, an impact uh, on a, on the, sort of the next generation who's who's thinking about how they would chart their way uh, through corporations and entrepreneurship and, and, and the social sector and, and like. And for, for a lot of us, there was uh, this moment where we said, you know, how, what's, what's the right combination of, of things that we need to do uh, to really get to those, those high places and then to be able to change some of the patterns we see um, around in our community. So, so that was a lot of what was in our minds as we, you know, entered into 2020. You all use some high profile African-Americans to kind of highlight the experiences of being African-American and in certain places, often being um, the, the old saying, the raisin in the rice and having to deal with, you know, being the, the black representation uh, of, uh, you know, what our experiences are as if one person uh, could do that. Uh, why the need to illustrate it that way, Randall? Was it was it just an easy way uh, for people to kind of glean in and 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 see that it really happens to everybody? And and those who have become monumentally uh, successful, it, it's a great guide, obviously. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll read a quote from the book to your question, Ed, from President Obama. He says. A lot of times America is very quick to embrace a Michael Jordan or an Oprah Winfrey or a Barack Obama. So long as it's understood that you don't get too controversial around broader issues of social justice. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's the juxtaposition of this book. Uh, it's not just about 
getting to the top. And there's been lots of books about getting to the top. Uh, this book is about getting to the top, staying there, and pulling the levers of power and influence that are at your disposal when you're at the top. Four issues, to Barack Obama's point, of broader social justice and having the courage, the intentionality, and being unapologetic about pulling those levers for the benefit of the Black community. In other words, we don't want Black faces in high places for the sake of having Black faces in high places. We want them to find their voice, have their voice, have a seat at the table, and make a difference at that table for our people. Jeff, isn't the real journey staying there? I remember Steve Harvey talking about, he told me once, um, and he used this analogy. He said, becoming famous is getting on the floor and doing 10 push-ups. And he said, most people can do that. He said, staying famous is getting on the floor, doing 100 push-ups, and then somebody at 99 says to you, when you get to 100, lock your arms and stay there. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a great analogy. Yeah. And, and, and it's what we, what we found in talking to um, you know, a lot of the Black professionals and executives that we had a chance to, to talk to. They, they probably would agree with, with Steve Harvey on that one there. And so you have to have something more than, you know, uh, you can't be, a, as they could say, a one trick pony, right? You can't just get there and say, okay, everything's great. No. So what is it that you're bringing to the table? Uh, and then what are you going to do when you're there? Sure, you got to take care of whatever the organizational leadership needs are. But there's some other things that you can do, that you should do, that you will have to contemplate. Uh, and and if you get there and you haven't built relationships that you need, that you don't have the people who are uh, sort of pouring into you, giving you advice, uh, even at that level, you're you're going to be in trouble when you you face different challenges. So uh, that's that's part of the of the, the you know, understanding the the journey is that yeah you know, getting there is is only part of it. <laughs> yeah, Randall. Here's what's interesting um, that you all tackle, and, and I'd love for you to kind of touch touch on this a bit, the idea of finding those who can help you navigate uh, to the top and help you navigate those waters when you, when you get there. Too often, African-Americans um, find it difficult to find mentors and most importantly, what we call sponsors once you're in there and once you, you know, get to a place where um, you're beginning to make a difference. Talk to us about that environment. Absolutely. And it's important to distinguish between a mentor, a sponsor, and an ally. We say that a mentor is about your development, a sponsor is about your advancement, and an ally is about dismantling the barriers that impede your development and your advancement. And they're very distinguished roles. One of the studies we looked at for the book was by David Thomas, who was former professor at Harvard, now president of Morehouse College. And he compares Black executives to Black managers who plateau, who hit a wall. And listen to the numbers of what he found in his study, and it's in the book. In the early stage of their careers, Black executives tend to have about, on average, two mentors. Black managers, one and a half. So they're close, one and a half to two. Mid-career, Black executives have about two and a half mentors. Black managers, about one. So that's a bigger spread, one to two and a half on average. 
Black executives in their later stage of their career have two and a half mentors. Black managers have 0.5 mentors on average. So what we're saying is the, the gap between Black managers who plateau and Black executives only grows as their careers progress, which gets back to your question about the vital importance at every stage of your career of seeking out those mentors, those sponsors, and those allies. Because without them, the data tells us if you aspire to make it to the top, if that's your aspiration, in the absence of having those folks, you won't make it. Jeff, what do we do? Um, and I've seen this time and time again when people reach, and, and, and we'll stay with corporate America, but this is true of, of many corners. Um, you reach a point where you're angry because you're not getting the mentorship that you see the person next to you or behind you getting, um, and therefore you shut down versus trying to really work at finding a mentor who may not look like you. Right. Yeah, that was certainly the, there, there is the fatigue factor. You, you, you're, you've been fighting. It feels like everything's been a fight. And then you get to that point where you're, you're, you're just upset about the whole thing and you shut down. And, I, you know, certainly I want to I get to people before they get, get to that point where they, they are shutting down because shutting down does, doesn't help you doesn't, and doesn't help anybody else either. Um, the, the, the point you made is, is spot on that, uh, you, you got to think about having, um, you know, mentors that sometimes are not going to look like you, but the, the, the problem that some folks have in thinking about mentorship is they have an old way of thinking about it. If you were listening carefully to what Dr. Pinker was just talking about, um, he, he mentioned having more than one mentor. And that's the, that's the, I'll call it the new school thinking. Old school thinking is that there was is one person who is all knowing, uh, giving you all this advice. New school thinking is you have more than one mentor. You have a network of mentors. So um, it's okay to have these mentors playing different roles. And so a mentor who looks just like you, who has a similar experience, whether they're inside or outside the company, is a valuable uh, asset. Um, a, a valuable member of your personal board of directors. And that's the person who's going to give you balance and give you some, some, some um, mentoring in, um, in, in ways that will be specific to you as a, as a Black professional. But you, you may have some other ones who are inside your company giving you advice about how to specifically navigate that, that company. And so that sometimes pushes us out of our comfort zone. But there are a lot of companies who are, are being very proactive about this and telling their executives who are mostly white and mostly male you can't succeed in your bonus this year unless you are mentoring somebody across difference. Uh, those progressive companies are doing something that is, is uh, exciting in my mind because now you start to find those executives seeking out um, Black professionals to mentor. And that um, you know, is a game changer. Companies that are doing those kind of things are, are, are making a big difference. But that is essential. You've gotta, you're going to have to have more than one mentor. Some of those mentors aren't going to look like you, uh, but they're still going to have some value they can give you. Yeah, Randall, isn't that at the end of the day when we're talking about corporate America, um, the, the win or lose I have found is if the CEO of that company really is genuine about diversity and their want to move forward. Uh, you know, I speak to a lot of corporations and you can see very quickly uh, whether the want for a diverse workforce is earnest um, and, and by means of what they do. Without a doubt, we do a, a, a lot of work around diversity, equity, and inclusion at, at our company, BCT Partners. And 
if I had a checklist of absolutely essential ingredients for DEI success, top of the list is not just executive support and buy-in, but I want to piggyback off your nuancing of it. It's them having a real personal vested interest that their authenticity, their transparency, their willingness to be uncomfortable uh, or rather get comfortable with being uncomfortable to understanding the experiences of those that are different than them and having that genuine inquisitiveness, that is a game changer because it has a ripple effect for their executive cabinet. It has a ripple effect for managers where we say diversity efforts go to die. Executives have lofty ideals and managers are like, you, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and nobody gave me that memo. So having that real commitment, and I've seen that at our clients where the CEO showing up and showing out and almost like the Maynard Jackson approach in Atlanta to getting black business in the door. Like I don't need a policy. I don't need a procedure. I'm just going to the pulpit and we're going to get this done and it gets done. When we come back, the authors talk about 10 strategic actions they say will help you gain power as you climb the ladder and how economic equity is key. The authors wanted to do more than simply talk about climbing the corporate ladder or finding entrepreneurial success. They wanted to share actionable ways to sustain being successful. You all have put together... um, 10 strategic actions to assist in, in moving this along. Jeff, how did you guys come up with, with the 10 and talk to people about, um, you know, an overview of what they are and what they do? Sure. So the, the, the 10 strategic actions come out of our you know, interviews and, and research on um, these folks who have made it to the top. Um, we, we, we thought about uh, the lessons we learned from listening to them and talking to them about how they progress. and uh, the the strategic actions build upon one another. So we we give some some foundational ones at the beginning. For example, self-determination is strategic action number one. You say, well, what are you talking about? Self-determination. Sounds like you're talking about Kwanzaa. Well, that that term self-determination is important because uh, it's it has you have to know who you are and know where you're going in order to, to make it to the top. Uh, you get up there and by the time you get up there, you're up there at the top and you haven't had those conversations with yourself and figured that out, you're in trouble. Um, it, it, we, we progress through a series of actions that build upon one another, taking folks from uh, building networks um, and, and building power and uh, thinking about maximizing mentoring uh, forms of entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship all the way to figuring out ways that you can seek significance. Uh, and the, the combination of the 10, I didn't go through each each of the 10 in that list, but the combination of the 10 really provides a roadmap of things to do and to think about um, on your way to the top. Randall, part of what the book does is, um, which I think we are in need of across the board as we look at our continued fight for uh, equality, are new narratives. And one of the things that I find most interesting is our inability sometimes to call to task 
those who have uh, been in place of leadership that maybe either have fallen asleep at the switch, have no real want because they have theirs, I got mine, you get yours, um, or who perhaps just don't know any other ways um, to do in terms of changing the environment and the game plan simply because they're stymied and they don't know where to go. How do you see leadership and what would you like to see differently? I love the question, Ed. And you asked an earlier question uh, that reminded me, we, we cast a very wide net for those stories, those new narratives, not just corporate leaders, but entrepreneurs, nonprofit leaders, faith-based leaders, uh, folks who run social justice organizations, we, we profile a, a number of different people across a number of different industries. And this idea of Ubuntu, which we highlight in the book, is this African humanist philosophy that says, I am because we are, which really harkens to our roots. Uh, uh, it's an Afro, it's Afrocentric ethos that says, I exist only in a community of others, and I have a responsibility to that community as well. We contrast that with the Eurocentric ethos of I think, therefore I am, which is a more individualistic versus collectivistic ethos that says I am because I think, and I am responsible to me, and I, I do for me, and you go do for you. And we, we play out that contrasting set of philosophies in Strategic Action 6, which is called Leverage Our Might. And we open the book, open the chapter by saying, we often hear people say Black folk can't work together. That's not the case. We can look across history and see example after example. The challenge is we just don't have enough people who subscribe to this idea that we are beholden to one another. And so we're trying to really shift that paradigm that says, no, getting to the top and staying there is not about what you do for yourself. It's about recognizing that if we stand on the shoulders of giants, we have an obligation to be giants so others can stand on our shoulders too. That's what we're arguing. How do we move it, Jeff, from cliche to reality? Uh, because part of my push against Black leadership current day is that a lot of what I hear is what I've heard for 20, 30 plus years now. Uh, and while I appreciate and salute the fact that they're out front and doing, um, I sometimes think we've got to figure out how to do a little bit more or change that scenario. So what would you like to see? Well, you know, you know it's interesting. Um, you know, we, if you go back historically, there was a point in time in which we had as a community, um, you know, some choices to make. We, we certainly have used the political and policy system um, as our as our primary means for for change, um, which was not the only choice. Or, and we certainly could have been done doing some things in parallel to to that. I think what we talk a lot about in the book um, is about uh, taking hold of the resources um, and the opportunities in other other sectors and with other approaches, including business, including entrepreneurship. Now, I don't think that's counter the others, but I think it's 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 the piece that's been lacking uh, in the in the last uh, 30, 30 years um, that if we can increase our our economic might, 
Um, if we can harness the, uh, the resources of uh, the business community and, and entrepreneurship, um, in addition to uh, politics uh, and, and, and the legal and civil rights uh, infrastructure, then I think that complete package brings something. Uh, if we have more control in the boardrooms and have more black billionaires, we will see much more change uh, in in the future. And and again, our our you know our stance is not, is to be inclusive and in, but just to demonstrate that those other roots um, have uh, you know a set of set of uh, skills you got to develop, a set of set of activities you've got to use, and we certainly talk about those in the book. Randall, okay. uh, go ahead. Yeah, and I'll add, I mean, Jeff often cites this, this very compelling statistic that if we had parity of Black CEOs in the Fortune 500, we would have 65 Black CEOs of mm-hmm. Fortune 500 companies. Imagine the difference it would make if they are conscious as Black CEOs, like the Ken Frazier's and the Ursula Burns and the Ken Chenault's that we've cited in the book. And then I contrast that with, imagine we had 65 Robert F. Smiths in the entrepreneurial space who could all say to the graduating class of some HBCU, guess what? You're, you, you got no more debt. I'm just going to just take care of all your debt for yeah. Howard and Morehouse and Spellman and North Carolina a and I mean, just think of the transformative power of just those 65 in both spheres. That alone is powerful. This is, I think, and I've said this for a long time, and it's not anything that I've come up with that people didn't understand. Certainly King understood it when he was in the midst of, you know, his poor people's campaign. Um, And it runs the gamut from the everyday man to the person who, you know, runs a Fortune 500 company. But this has been the path of most resistance, allowing us in those doors. Uh, How do we fight to make sure that they understand uh, the world will be better if economic equity is better. It is not the American way. Yeah. So, so, so you, yeah, you said a lot in that question. Uh, you know, for, you know, first of all, uh, we we're talking about something that has to do with power, um, power and influence and resources. You know, the the money, the financial resources. Um, when we start talking about entrepreneurship or corporate America, um, and when we talk about philanthropy, foundations. Or, or even, uh, you know, we recently looked at some of the numbers of, um, of black uh, university presidents. And, you know, there's different categorizations of universities. The you know, American Association of Universities, AAU, is the 66 top um, you know, universities in the country. And, you know, this, again, small numbers. Uh, I think the number is four, four university presidents. But those four, what they're doing on their university campuses is, is amazing. Uh, Rutgers University has a, a new president, black man named uh, Dr. Jonathan Holloway, just created a new program that's going to um, reduce the tuition for, for families that are in certain income categories, completely changing um, sort of the dynamic about how, who's going to school and how they'll be able to get there. I mean, those are, those are the kinds of things that make way for economic inclusion. Mm-hmm. And that is where everybody has a chance to um, access uh, the, the financial and economic levers in this country. Uh, it's not just for a small number of people. It's not just for the middle class, but that everybody has the, the access and opportunity. We talk a good game in America about that's what we say we have, but it's not true 
when we look at um, all the disparities and inequalities we see in America. Randall, let me um, close by asking you the interviewer 101 book question. And that is, uh, what would you like people to walk away with uh, after reading the book? And I should note, I, I encourage anyone who has a young people entering the workforce to get this book for them. I think it's a great guide. It gives them because uh, often our kids don't know what they're walking into. And I think that this is a, a, a good guide to say, hey, here's some of the things that you'll face. Um, and, and here's some ways people dealt with those same things. So what would you like people to walk away with? I, I hope, and it, it gets back to where we started the interview, Ed. I hope people realize that, I don't think I'm being too grandiose in saying this. George Floyd's murder was our Rosa Parks moment. I mean, Rosa Parks, as we have the benefit of hindsight, sparked a movement for civil rights. But did people know that it was a moment when it happened? I don't know. We're in the moment right now. Uh, we're two years into the post-George Floyd era, and we've all seen the heightened conversation and awareness of, of issues of race. But we are going to look back 20 years from now and ask the question, what did we do? Because this is on our watch. This is on our watch. And so I'm hoping people take away from the book an appreciation for we all find ourselves at some point with choices of what we can do or not do. This moment has to become a movement, but it will only become a movement based on the choices we make today. And we hope this book equips people with the tools and the strategies and the roadmap. If you're a professional of how to navigate that and look back on your career and look back on this moment, and say you made the right choices. Yeah, well, let's uh, hope that uh, the people in the C-suites and those in leadership positions uh, say amen to that. Gentlemen, always uh, good to talk to you. We thank you and appreciate that you put this book together. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Ed. The book, Black Faces in High Places, is available now. One Hundred is produced by Ed Gordon Media and distributed by iHeartMedia. Carol Johnson Green and Cherie Weldon are our bookers. Our editor is Lance Patton. Gerald Albright composed and performed our theme. Please join me on Twitter and Instagram at Ed L. Gordon and on Facebook at Ed Gordon Media. <laughs> <laughs>